Amen. Can we give the Lord a round of applause? And so good. So good. Good. You all can be seated. You can be seated out there at home. And you're going to have to bear with me as I get used to preaching to real people, all right? Because I've been preaching for the last seven months to Brenton, and he's a really good listener, uh, Brenton, our AV specialist. Although every once in a while, when Brenton has to go to the restroom, he leaves, and then it's just me and the machines, and that's kind of a weird moment. But I'm excited to be in the room with worshipers. We're excited to have all of you out there, friends, gathering in your house churches at home. Continue to encourage one another online in the comment section, and let's make much of Jesus together. And let's pull out our Bibles this morning and open to the Gospel of Luke. We're going back to Luke, and I could not be more excited to do that. I love the Gospel of Luke. I love it. And I know some of you, so many of you love it too. You've told me how excited you are we're going back to Luke. I feel like when I read Luke, I'm getting a front row seat into the life of the one perfect person in human history. The perfect leader, right? Amen? The perfect leader who led with perfect wisdom and perfect love, perfect power, perfect grace, perfect challenge. You know, Jesus said some really challenging things during his life, but he said them perfectly. He said them perfectly. We often forget this. Peter once wrote that Paul said things that were hard to understand, but actually Jesus said his fair share of difficult things during his ministry. Jesus said some things at times that caused people who were following him to immediately realize this is not worth it anymore. And people would stop following Jesus because of things that he said, challenging things. Jesus would say things that would split families right down the middle. And sometimes Jesus would intentionally say things that would cause his listeners to come to an immediate realization that they needed more faith. He would say things to trigger people and cause them to realize, I have a spiritual need here. And that's the passage we're going to look at this morning. Luke 17, if you want to turn there, here's what happened. Luke 17, our text is short this morning, verses 1 through 6. But here's what happened. Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. A millstone, if you, if you don't know this, a millstone, I've got a picture here. A millstone was a massive stone. It weighed hundreds of pounds and it was used to grind grain so heavy that they would have to hook a donkey to a pole and the donkey would walk on a track to turn a millstone. And Jesus is saying, this is how much I care for my little ones. This would not just be be children, but it would be newcomers to faith, people who were young or immature in faith. Jesus is saying, it would be better 
for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one, a, a little one to stumble or sin or fall away. Amazing. So he said, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And look at the apostles. They said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. You would obey you. And what I want to do, as you are still there in your Bible, will you just hover over verse 5? Because verse 5 is our theme this morning. Verse 5 is where, I, where I, I want to have you just think for a moment. Increase our faith. Faith is our theme, River West. Not only this morning, but in the weeks to come, as we'll see, this is the theme that Jesus picks up starting in 17 and in the chapters to follow. And when I think of this moment and I think of the disciples coming to Jesus in this cry, it feels to me like there's, there's no moment in the Gospels that's more pure, more humble, more childlike, independent. Just imagine this moment the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, increase our faith, please. Whatever Jesus just said, it triggered them and they came to this stark realization of how much they needed more faith. I, it, it reminds me of what a, a child looks like in a moment of desperation when they're stuck or they want you to pick them up or they want out of their high chair and they just look up to you with this look of childlike desperation, right? My daughters, I, I'll never forget that look. They would look up, Daddy, pick me up. Now I get that look when they want my credit card. But it's, that's different. But you know that look. And, and this is the moment, all right? This is what's happening here. You notice the exclamation point there at the end of that phrase, increase our faith. Now, I'll let you know that in the, the original Greek, there, there weren't punctuation marks. So this is a translation decision, but it's the right one. This isn't just a polite request. This is like a cry. They're crying out in desperation. And so I want to I I preach a message this morning about faith. And I have a word for our church, River West Church. I have a word to build you up as a church about faith. I think as a church, we're meant to take this cry and make it our own right now as a church family. I don't think it's an accident that... In the providence of God, we would return to our study in Luke at a point where Jesus picks up this theme, the theme of faith. I don't think it's an accident. In fact, theme, faith will become sort of our theme. This is like the gateway into everything that's going to happen from this point forward for the next several chapters. We're just going to talk about faith and our need for faith. And it's timely. Isn't it timely, church? The the church has been beat up <laughs> in the last few months. We've been bruised. We've been battered. It's been tough days for the church. Our church and many other churches, these have been tough days. 
We need faith. And not just the church. I mean, it's been tough for our world, for our nation. It's been tough times. I read this past week that the American Psychological Association, they sent up the red flags. They're declaring a national mental health crisis. And, and what they're saying is that we as a nation, we are experiencing unprecedented stress. Stress, like we, they, they track these things. They've been tracking stress in America since 2007. And they're saying 2020 is like no year ever before. Raise your hand if you felt stress in 2020. Anybody felt stress? All right. Take anything that used to cause you stress. It's all still there. And now add to it everything that 2020 has brought us. And the American Psychological Association is saying, this is a crisis, a mental health crisis. And you know what generation they're saying has been impacted the worst? Take a guess. Anybody? Anybody? Gen Z. 13 to 23-year-olds are, are experiencing unbelievable stress, probably because they're looking around at all the adults flipping out, right? And it's making them nervous, okay? And, the, and so the American Psychological Association is saying, you know, they have all these things on their website about how to encourage Gen Zers in all this stress. And I noticed, strangely, there's nothing in there about take them to Jesus. I was really surprised by that. But isn't that what we need? We need to go to Jesus like the disciples did that day and cry out to him, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And so we're going to take this humble plea and we're going to make it our prayer. Now, every Christian knows that faith is essential for salvation. We know that. Faith is like the way into a relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. It's by faith you're saved. We're justified by faith. But what many Christians fail to recognize or don't often remember is that not only is faith essential to begin a relationship with Jesus, but faith becomes the critical piece of ongoing life in the community of Christ. Faith is like the basic posture that a Christian lives with as they follow Jesus in this world. So you go all out the script, throughout the scriptures and the scriptures will say things like the righteous live by faith. Or the, or the writer of Hebrews said, did you know it's impossible to please God without faith? Faith is not just what starts my relationship with Jesus. Faith is the fuel in the tank of my ongoing life as a follower of Jesus. It's like the caffeine in my coffee, all right? Take away faith and there's no Christian life. Take away faith and, and your entire spiritual life is severed. It's, it's, it's cut in half. It's over. And so what a plea like the apostles that day. What if as a church, River West, what if we as a church made this our prayer, made this our cry? Every time you gather with your community group, every time you gather around your dinner table over the next weeks and months, every time you are with a brother or sister, what if you said, let's stop and make that prayer that the apostles prayed that day. Let's make that our prayer. Jesus, increase our faith. 
And notice, so look back now at at the text. Notice that it was Jesus himself who triggered this moment. He did this intentionally, all right? He, Jesus had a purpose in this moment. He's traveling with the disciples. He's forming them. They're on their way to Jerusalem. He has a plan to form them in his image, to prepare them for their mission. And he comes to this moment in 17 where he's like, now I'm going to trigger them to realize how they need faith desperately. Everything he's doing, he's doing intentionally. And how did he do it? It was something that he said about life in the body of Christ. We look now again very closely at verses one through four. This is what Jesus did. He explained to the disciples his expectations for basic life in the church, in the community of Christ. And that bar was so high, like so unattainable, that it actually triggered the disciples to realize we need faith to even do this. We need faith. So look at it, verses one through four, and I I can summarize what he said about community in three statements. These will be on the screen, very simple statements. He basically said, don't be the cause of sin, don't avoid confronting sin, and don't ever stop forgiving sin. So think about those statements. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, life in, life in my community, life in my family, life in the body of Christ is so important to me, especially as it relates to forgiveness and righteousness and sin and grace. Jesus said, this, this matters to me more than almost anything. And, you're, and, and all those those statements, they seem simple. I assure you, they are impossible to do without faith. Impossible. And so what's amazing is there's, there's this direct connection between basic daily life in the body of Christ, just doing life, friends, as a church family. There's a connection between that and our constant need for more and more faith. We can't do it without faith. So he says, don't be the cause of sin. You see that, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, now look, temptations to sin are inevitable. They're coming. We're doing life in a broken world. We have a spiritual enemy. That's our reality. Living in this broken, fallen, evil world, there's going to be stumbling blocks. People will be tempted. Jesus said, it's already tough enough out there. Don't make it worse within the body of Christ by becoming the person who's actually the stumbling block yourself. This is sort of intense, all right? He's saying, do not be the stumbling block yourself. It's this great Greek word, scandalon, and it basically means a stone that's sort of in the ground and you can't see it, and it's a stone that people trip over. And Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. This will take faith. It takes faith. It takes humility to constantly evaluate myself, to ask the question, am I setting a good example? Am I using my words well when I'm around other believers, especially believers who are new to faith, young in faith, immature in faith? Do, is there anything I ever do or say or post online or, or, or model that could cause one of these little ones to stumble? 
Jesus says, don't be, don't be the cause of sin, but also don't ever avoid dealing with sin and confronting sin. So we have our English word here in verse 2. It's the word rebuke, and that's probably the best translation. But that word rebuke, it comes through in the English really harsh, pretty intense. And that's probably why for a lot of us, we, we avoid rebuking, and we certainly want to avoid being rebuked, right? No one likes that. But we even, we, sometimes we even avoid rebuking. I don't know very many people who say, my spiritual gift is rebuking, and, but there are probably there are people who think that. But it's, the thing is that in the Greek, that word is not as, uh, it's not as intense. So the, the Greek word means come and love and give a warning to help someone correct their course before they go really off. It's almost like this preemptive, loving correction. And I like that. And I, I need that in my life. And I would say we probably all need that from time to time, right? But think about it. It's easy to talk about someone when they're needing correction, but how much faith does it take to go to them, to just go in love and gentleness and humility and bring that word of correction? That takes faith. There's no faith required to avoid sin in your own life or others, but it takes incredible faith to care about it and lovingly correct. It takes faith to, re to repent of sin. You notice that that's two sides of the coin in verse 3. He says, if your brother sins, then correct. Go and, and in faith and love, rebuke and correct. But then also, if your brother repents, forgive him. Or if your sister repents. And both of these, I would argue, require incredible faith. How much faith does it take to humbly acknowledge I need, to, I need to go to somebody right now because I've wounded them. Several years ago, about 10, 12 years ago, I, the Spirit of the Lord, convicted my heart that I needed to drive back to Eugene and I needed to go and make amends with a brother that I had wounded in my, in my sin. And I'll never forget that drive from Portland to Eugene. It was the longest drive of my entire life. I tried to turn around so many times. How much faith did it take to make that drive? Wondering, what, what will he say? Will, how will I be received? It took faith to drive down there and say, brother, I, I sinned against you. And, and I wondered, how much faith did it take for him to forgive me? And he did. And it was beautiful. Faith to repent, faith to rebuke, faith to forgive. All these take faith. So don't be the cause of sin. That takes faith. Don't avoid dealing with sin, both in the correcting and in the repenting. That takes faith. And maybe some of you this morning, as, I, as I'm even sharing this, you right in this moment, the Spirit is stirring you up and you're thinking of a relationship where you know, I... I need to go and I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to repent. I have a broken relationship with someone and I'm the cause. It takes faith. Don't be the cause. Don't avoid dealing with sin, but also don't ever stop forgiving sin. 
Will you look at it there, verse 3? This verse, verse 3 and 4, Jesus said this to trigger his disciples. Can you imagine, just think about this, can you imagine a sister or a brother in your life sinning against you seven times in the same day? (laughs) Just think about that, okay? Seven times in the same day and seven times coming back and repenting, truly repenting. I repent. I blew it. And Jesus says, you must forgive that person no matter how many times in the same day. That would take a miracle, right? That would take a miracle of faith. This is a miracle. So a person says, I need great faith so I can do great things for God. That's why I need faith. I need to, I need to be a warrior for Jesus in this world. And Jesus says, actually, you just need faith to do basic life in the body of Christ. Basic day-to-day life in Christian community requires faith. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Amen? It takes a miracle. Faithful, forgiving, gracious, repentant, righteous life together in Christian community cannot be done without faith. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is triggering in the disciples. I thought about it this week. There's not a single example in your Bible where someone moves a mulberry tree into the ocean through their faith. I dare you to find it. It's not there, okay? Even though Jesus, now look, Jesus literally said, this is possible, you could do this. And in Matthew, he uses the analogy of a mountain. You could move a mountain. There's not a single example in scripture where someone moves a mountain or moves a mulberry tree, even though Jesus said it would be possible. And the question is why? And my answer is because that would be a pointless miracle. It would be pointless. It's possible, but it would be pointless. But let me tell you about an amazing miracle. Unbelievable, scandalous, gracious forgiveness in the body of Christ day after day after day after day. Now that is a, see, I think our problem is we need a better definition of the miraculous, right? We want to see mountains moved and mulberry trees up planted. And Jesus says that would be great, but it's absolutely pointless. But what about a community of people that are marked by astounding grace, miraculous faithfulness? They never give up. They never split. They never abandon each other. They never stop forgiving one another. They never move on for petty reasons. Faith, grace, forgiveness, unity. That is a miracle. That's a miracle. And we can't do it without faith. And we need to cry out every day, Jesus, increase our faith. So the disciples heard this. Look at verse 5. They heard all this. They heard Jesus' standard. And they came to him in desperation. And they said, increase our faith. And how did Jesus respond? What did he say? I'm going to summarize it for you. And then I'm going to read verse 6. 
He basically said, they said, increase our faith. And Jesus said, the most important thing actually is not the size of your faith, but actually the most important thing is the size of the God to whom your faith is directed. Amen. Amen. The, the mo- it actually does not matter how big your faith is. What matters is the size of the God to whom your faith is directed. It's not great faith that you need. What you need is faith in a great God. And luckily, a great God is exactly who we have. <laughs> exactly who we have. That's the meaning of the mustard seed. Verse 6. If you just had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And we know the mustard seed, it was, it was tiny. You could actually have a mustard seed in your hand and not know it. That's how much of a speck a mustard seed was. And I love it. Jesus is saying a lot of things. First, he's saying, God, first of all, the point is that the faith is so small that the only one who actually is moving the, the mulberry tree is, is God. God. God's the one who moves mountains. God is the one who moves mulberry trees and uproots them. God. God is the one who's great. And we don't need great faith. We just need a faith that connects to that God, like a window where you can see through and see the true power, the true glory. But what the wisdom of Jesus here, I think it's really astounding because what, what he's doing is he's, he's protecting the disciples, I think, from becoming too preoccupied with themselves. Protecting, don't, don't get preoccupied looking in right now. I know you feel inadequate. I know you, the standard is high, but the danger would be to start looking inside. Oh, is our faith big enough? And Jesus is saying, don't, don't get caught up there, Okay. And, and even you, like River West, brothers and sisters out there tuning in, when you hit the wall, when things get hard, when you get stuck or you get confused or you're frustrated or community gets messy or things start to feel divided or you just realize your inadequacies, just make sure that when you, when you get to that moment, don't look inside of yourself. Don't look there. You're never going to find the answer in there, all right? That's not where you're going to find any help. Don't look in. Don't get preoccupied. Don't, don't get overly focused on your own faith. That's a dead end. You'll never find the answer. You'll never. I, I hear the mantras right now in our culture, mantras that I fear are really misleading people. Mantras like, you be you, you do you, right? Have you heard this? You be you, follow your heart, be true to yourself. There's a fatal flaw in that. And the flaw is that at the end of the day, the whole project depends on you. And that's a lot of weight to carry. And here's Jesus saying, don't look inside. Our faith will never thrive when we focus on our faith. Our faith will thrive. Our faith will grow. Our faith will increase as we behold our God. Amen. That's what will cause our faith to grow. Not looking in, but looking up, looking out. 
So you notice just last moment here, look at verse five. What did the apostles do in that moment? They're feeling it. They're stuck. They're, they're frustrated. They feel inadequate. What did they do? They, they moved towards Jesus. They said, we have to get closer to Jesus. So they, the apostles said to the Lord, they went to Christ with that need. They didn't, they didn't look inward. They didn't huddle up together and say, we got to work the problem here. Let's work the problem. No, they, they said, we are feeling our inadequacy. And they said, you know what we need to do? We need to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can. I imagine they were right at his feet when they said this, increase our faith. They got as close to Jesus as they possibly could. And River West, that's, that's exactly what we need to do. That is exactly what we need to do. And that's what we're going to do in our study in Luke. We're just going to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can. The closer we are as a church in proximity to Jesus, the more our faith will grow. Can I get an amen to that? The closer we get to Jesus, the more our faith will grow. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Every week from this point forward, faith is our theme. And every week from this point forward, we're going to get as close to the one truly perfect human being in history. And as I close, I just, I, I do have one question that I have to ask. And it's a very simple question, but I, I really want you to think about this. How close are you to Jesus right now? How close are you? How connected to Jesus are you right now? Notice, I'm not asking you how religious are you? How theological are you? How spiritual are you? I'm asking you, how close are you to Jesus right now? Because Jesus is trying to get close to you. And we're about to worship together. And I, in a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. And I, I just have a feeling, I don't know who you are out there, how many of you have tuned in. I don't know where you're at, but I, I just have a feeling that this morning there are some who, as you've tuned in, you're coming to the realization, I've, I've wandered away from Jesus and Jesus is calling me back because he wants to increase my faith. And if that's you, this next few moments is for you as we pray together. Can I, can I have everyone just bow your heads with me and we'll say a prayer as the worship team comes. Heavenly Father, how we, how we thank you for this moment that Luke records. A moment that's so pure, probably the most pure, desperate prayer in the Gospels. A cry for faith. And it's a prayer you love to answer, Lord. And I, I thank you for that. And as a church, River West Church, we make this our prayer this morning. Would you increase our faith? Help us to have your vision for body life. Help us to have your vision for our mission in this world. 
we pray, Jesus, that as we lock into you in our study in Luke, we will see amazing, miraculous, life-changing things happen in our church and in our community and in our world. And I pray now for those who, as they've tuned in, are coming to this realization, I need, I've been running from Jesus, I've moved away, I've stopped praying, I've stopped worshiping, I've stopped reading my Bible, I've stopped seeking Christ. If that's you, these next few moments are are a precious moment for you as Jesus invites you, draws you back in faith. Come to him, he loves you. He died on a cross with love in his eyes as he thought of you and paid for your sin. And he rose again in victory so that your brokenness, your sin could not hold you down any longer. Draw near to him this morning in faith. And we want to this morning, Lord Jesus, as we worship. Thank you. We pray and we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen.